every problem that you've ever had started right there. Every weed you have had to pull in your life started right there. Every tear you have ever shed over the grief of this world started at that moment. We're in a series called uh, this, The Story of God in Six Acts. There it is. We're trying to tell the story of God in six acts, like almost like it was a play or a story, and we've already done one. We're in act two today, and by the time we're done, we're going to tell you the story of God. Uh, now, we're talking about God's story, which is really, by the way, history. If you ever take the word history and break it apart, you've got what? His story. History is his story, because this whole thing is about God, it's not about, this is what the Bible says, okay? It's that scripture that you can barely read there, but I'm going to put it up for you. At the very end of the scriptures, the very end of the Bible, it says, I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, what's the significance of that, those of you who are Hebrew scholars? What does that mean? What is the Alpha and the Omega? What is Alpha? Okay, this is Greek now, so it means, it's the first letter in alphabet. This is Greek. Alpha is what's the last, you know, omega, guys, Alpha, what he's really saying is, look, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, that's it, this whole thing's about him, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, this isn't just where he's a character in there, we talked about that last week, we'll remind you, this is, it's about him, all of creation is about him, it's about God, it's his story, but I want you to remember this as we continue in this, this series, for the, and actually you should remember this as we look at all scripture and as we study, the Bible does not tell us all there is to know about God. It doesn't. It tells me everything we need to know. So you can come to me with something else and say, did you know God is like this and this and this? And you may be absolutely correct. It could be true. But if it isn't in the Bible, you don't need to know it. Otherwise, you have to say God made a mistake. He meant to put it in there, but forgot. Okay? Everything you need to know about God is right there in his word. I used to have some, some neighbors when I lived in Caldwell, Idaho, and this guy was really big into spiritual warfare issues, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He came to me one time, and he told me that he had discovered that, uh, that the demon world had all these hierarchies, that there was a demon over divorce over the city of Caldwell, and then there were hierarchies this way. And uh, he, he learned that because he was very much into confrontation with, with demons. And um, through interrogating demons uh, in exorcisms, they told him the hierarchy. And, and I told him two things. I said, first of all, I don't know that I would trust a demon to tell you the truth, okay? Don't base your theology. And second, it's not important that you know that. You know why I know it's not important to know that there's a demon of divorce over the city of Caldwell? Because if it was important to know that, guess where it would be? Be in the Word. Even if it's true, you don't need to know it. I mean, if you want to dabble in it, I suppose it's okay, but don't act like it's essential knowledge. My father knows what he's doing. He told me everything I need to know. That's why we try to turn you to Bible scholars if we can. Because that's where the truth is really revealed about our Father. 
okay? Now remember, we were in, since this whole series is called The Story of God in Six Acts, every good story or most good stories have these elements to them, okay? Here's the elements of a good story. First of all is the character and setting. You have to have a setting and a character for a story. Then you have to have the tension. Somehow, you know, the tension comes into... Have you ever watched... The way, and uh, we're micro, we're losing kind of our battery, right? If that goes out again, I'll just switch to the handheld, and which, by the way, has a worse battery than I've got here. But we'll give it a try anyway. Okay? We seem to have run out of batteries. We'll get some this week. How's that? That'll be our our job. Anyway, if you ever watched a sitcom and. Um, in the first oh few minutes of the sitcom, some tension is going to come in because that's the whole point. Otherwise, you're just watching the same people do the same thing week after week after week. It's too boring. Some tension is going to come in, and the whole point is to solve that tension at the end of the 30 minutes, okay? You know what's going to happen. You just don't know how. That's what makes a good story. Well, guess what? We have tension. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Then there's the plot, okay, which is pretty much how you're going to get rid of the tension. Then there's an intermission, and yes, as I told you, there is an intermission in the Bible, We'll talk about that in just a couple of weeks. There is an actual intermission in the story of God. Then there's a climax, okay? Everything comes to kind of a head, so to speak, which usually happens a little bit later on in the story, but in the story of God, it happens almost in the middle. Complications arise, and then the happy ending. We're going to go through all of these things and show you what God is like as we work our way through the Bible over the next several weeks. Now, last week, we talked about the character and setting, remember? We started with the setting. The setting for our story is not heaven. The setting, for our, the setting for our story is not the spirit world. The setting for our story is creation, all of creation. Here's where God is at work in our lives. Is there a Yes, there's a spirit world. Of course there's a spirit world. But do we really need to know that much about it? Shake your little head just like this. Everything you need to know about that spirit world, you find in the word of God, and it's not much. Just that it exists. Because the setting for God's story is right here in this creation. Okay? And what we found out, of course, is that God is the careful creator. He did a wonderful job as he cared for us in this creation. He, did, he, he wanted it beautiful. He, he brought harmony and exactly what he wants in your own life as well. To bring harmony out of your chaos and to bring beauty in what is good. That's what our Father is like. We also saw that the character for this story is God. He is not just the main character. There are no supporting characters. There are no supporting actors. If we were going to give out Oscars or Tonys or something, there would be a main character, but there would be no supporting characters because this story is all about God. Now, get ready for this one, okay, because I've heard people say it. You know, I've, I've been in churches where preachers held up the, the Bible and said, the Bible is the instruction manual for humanity. No, it's not. That's not its purpose. You know what the Bible is? It's an autobiography. You know the difference between a biography and an autobiography? What's the difference? Biography is about somebody, but it's written by someone else. What's an autobiography? It's, it's written about you by you, right? That is what the Bible is mainly about. It is an autobiography. It is God writing about himself through human beings about himself. He is the one directing and guiding. The Holy Spirit is involved in this whole process because the Word of God is his story. It's about him from beginning to end, the Alpha and Omega. See, 
not about you at all. Oh, you'll find some things about you in there. It's good. But you're not the focus. You're not the main point. From beginning to end, it's God saying to us, here I am. This is what I'm like. And this is how I'm going to fix the mess you got us into. That's the Bible. It's his story. He is the care. And so that's why we said this last week, as we just wrapped the whole thing up. The secret of life is not how God fits into your life, okay? How does God fit into my world? You've got to be kidding me. God can't fit into your world. You're not big enough for God. That would make you the center. And God's whole purpose and plan is to kind of fit into your life. Now, that may be the American way. That may be a human thing, but it's not right. Because the secret is to say, Father, how do I fit into you? Where do I fit into you? He is life, now and forever. I want to fit into his life. So there it is. Character and setting. The setting is all of creation. The character is God. He's it. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's all about him. Keep that in mind as you're reading the word of God. You're saying, okay, what does this tell me about my father? What does this tell me about my father? Because it's about him. You'll learn some things about you, but that's not the point. The point is learning about him. Now, we move into that tension. Here comes that good part of the story that says, okay, we've got this beautiful world and everything looks great and it's glorious. But as a matter of fact, um, if we were going to put music, I even have it, I didn't put it in there, but if we were going to put music to the first couple of chapters in the Bible, it would, it would probably, have you ever heard the da, 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 that kind of glorious morning music, you know, just the violins are playing and it's really good. That would be Genesis chapters one and two. What would Genesis chapter three? Go like this. Da-da. And those of you who recognize that's the theme from Jaws. Yeah, that's right. That is Genesis chapter 3. We also have a subtitle for it. It goes like this Mankind Goes Rogue. That is Genesis chapter 3. And here's the tension. Let me read it for you again. You already saw some of it, but let me read it one more time. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Stop right there. And if you have your Bibles open, anybody got a word that you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2? Check this out for me, but I think you're going to discover something She wasn't around when God said this. God told this to Adam. It was after he created Adam and said this, then he said, okay, we better create a helpmate for you. He looked at Adam and he said, what? You cannot eat from the tree of the garden. I mean, of this one tree. You can eat from any, but just not that one tree. Did he say you shouldn't touch it? And yet she thinks that he did. Where did she get that? Who told her that? Adam, exactly, because God said to Adam, don't eat of that. Then he told his wife, this 
ladies and gentlemen, is the first miscommunication between husbands and wives in the history of the world. Women, if you are frustrated because your wives don't quite get the message clearly to you, here's where it started, all right? Because Adam added something. You see that tree? Don't eat it, and don't even touch it. And that's not what God said. Moving on. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here, I love that. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. As long as they were obedient to God, as long as they just trusted him and followed him, we're going to get into all this, they remained in a wonderful state of innocence. Their sexuality was under the control of God. Their human appetites were under the control of God. When they did their own thing, when mankind went rogue, all their human appetites, all their fleshly appetites moved out from underneath the covering of our Father and were revealed for what they are apart from Him. And suddenly, this wonderful naked body that caused them no problems at all awakened within them now something that was so bad they wanted to cover it all up. Under the lordship of God, their nakedness was not a problem at all. Their sexuality was good and right and true and healthy. But as soon as they walked away from him and did their own thing, their sexuality, their humanness, their body, their flesh was no longer under the protection of God or the influence of the Spirit. And they saw each other completely different. And they were ashamed. Now, what I just shared with you is more important than you realize. I just told you the whole story of why we're in this mess and why it is that you struggle and I struggle. We live in a culture where, um, that honors people who go rogue. We, we like rogue. Uh, rogue movie star, the Clint Eastwood movie star, he goes rogue. I mean, he just does his own thing, right? Yeah. And, and even politics, there are politicians who, who go rogue, and, and, and everyone just says, oh, that's just wonderful to go. You know what? Going rogue in our system or going rogue in our politics, and may not be bad, I don't know, I, I, I'll let you judge all of that, but 
when you go rogue on God, that's deadly. Doing your own thing will kill you. It's nothing to be proud of. See, we go rogue on God. That's what this whole chapter is about. Mankind goes rogue. Here's the tension that comes into this perfect world. God creates everything perfect. They get along perfectly. They can walk around naked, and there's no problem, and suddenly it all goes wrong. Suddenly there's shame. There's never shame before. Suddenly they hide from God. They never hid from God before. They go rogue, and it all falls apart. We go rogue, my friends, when, first of all, we don't trust God, and that's what happened right here. God said, trust me in this. I'm not going to explain to you why this tree is going to kill you. I'm not going to, I just trust me that it will. And it didn't. But before we get really upset with Adam and Eve, I hope you're not picking up any rocks around here, huh? Because isn't this just a great description of how we often deal with our own father? You know, we, he says, trust me. And we go, Fine. explain it to me. Unless you fully explain it to me, I will trust only my own logic, my own understanding. If you can explain it to me, then I will accept it, which is the same thing as saying, I won't accept your word. I will only accept my own understanding. When my understanding grasps it, then it will be true. Until that time, I won't trust you. That's what Adam and Eve did. We go rogue when we listen to other voices. Ooh. Here comes that crafty serpent, the, the Satan figure in our story. By the way, how did Satan deceive them? Did he jump on them and, and possess them and make them do bad things? Do you remember Flip Wilson? What was, what was Flip Wilson's? Those are, I'm really showing my age right here, the 60s and the 70s. What was Flip Wilson's famous line? The what? The devil made me do it. And we all laugh. Ha, ha, ha. No, he didn't. That's not how he works. How does he work? This isn't about him. This isn't his story. But this is how he works. How does he work? And he needs permission from God. Absolutely. How does he work? He lies to you. He's a voice contrasting with God. God's voice says, this is what is true. Satan's voice comes in and says, no, it's not. It's not true. This is what's true. Who are you going to listen to? You get a choice. Mankind goes rogue when we listen to other voices about what is important, about what we should do. And we are trained to listen to other voices. Have you ever known anybody with ADHD? I don't have ADHD. I have grandson that has ADHD. And what, something I discovered about that as I was doing some research in it, because I have a grandson who has ADHD, is that they have a hard time differentiating all the different voices that come in, okay? I mean, if you just were to stop right now and listen, there'd be lots of different noises coming at you, not just this noisy guy up front, but there'd be people around you that are scratching their head and we're opening in cell phones or voice. There's all this information coming in. People with ADHD apparently hear it all at about the same level. So when they're in a classroom and the teacher is talking or the person next to them is whispering or whatever, they hear it all at the same level. And they have a hard time focusing on just what the teacher says. I don't have that. I'm able to tune things out. You, I could write books about what I see when I'm preaching up here. But I have a tendency to just tune it all out and to focus, okay? The problem with us in our society is all these voices are coming in at us. And sometimes they're all the same level. 
Sometimes the voice of God is even a little softer than those. We have to learn to tune that all out and to hear just his voice. Because when we listen to other voices, we're going rogue. We really go rogue when we look at God and we say, you're not the boss of me. If you've been around little kids for any length of time, watch them interact, boy, you're going to hear this phrase. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss. Maybe you even said it when you were a little kid. That's really what Adam and Eve were saying. When we go rogue on God, that's what we're saying. You know, God, you're not the boss of me. I'll do my own thing. See, the problem is we don't always grow out that mindset. Here's what the Bible says. Look at this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That is such a great summary of humanity. God says something to us, but you know what? I don't really understand it. I just, you know, I think I'll do this instead. My mind, my heart, my wish, my flesh, my desire is to do something else. And it'll be good. And it isn't. And it doesn't work. Because God's not at the center of it. That's going rogue. This is really a story about God. So let's take a look at this chapter and say, okay, what does this tell us about God? What is it saying about God in this particular chapter? I'll try this on for size. God is not just the creator of good. He is the source of all goodness as well. Now, remember in Genesis 1 and 2, he created everything and it was good. I, I would love that, by the way. He didn't say it was marvelous, fantastic, you know, stupendous. Those are words that we use to hype things. God isn't into hype. Everything he created was good. Now we're going to find out that not only does he create good, he's the source of good. And when you remove him, everything goes bad. Here's a question. How is God like a light bulb? Well, how about this? Look at this room. Nice room. Well lit. I like it. How much light does this room really have? Well, I'll show you. Could you kill those lights for me? Just turn off the electricity and see what happens. Good. That's how much light this room has. And even that is a reflection from that. Or a reflection from the sun bouncing off the cars and the asphalt and coming through that window and here. Because this room has no light. None. How much goodness did creation have in it? None. None. The source of goodness was God himself. As he stayed in a great, in the right relationship with him, as, as mankind who was put in charge of all creation, remember he said, you have dominion over it, as mankind was put into all creation and they stayed in a right relationship with God, the goodness of God permeated everything and everything remained good and the animals got along together and Adam and Eve could be naked and it wouldn't be any problem, it was innocent, their sexuality was healthy and right. And then they break fellowship with God. 
and it all goes downhill. Why? Because God cursed them and because God hurt them and because God put bad spell on them. Because when Adam and Eve went rogue, they turned off a light switch. God's goodness is our source when we are in a right relationship with Him. And their relationship was broken. Did all the light go away? No, of course not. Think of it this way. What if we went up there and and we kind of took trash bags and, and, and pieces of cardboard and we kind of put it around all the lights? Would there still be light enough to see? Probably. Would it be as it should? No, not at all. That's what happened. Adam and Eve went rogue. Mankind went rogue. The source of goodness was there. He, he didn't just walk away from his creation. We'll talk about that in a moment. He was there, but, but that relationship was now broken. It's like putting a wall up between you and God. Enough light comes through that, that you know there's light, but not enough light to really know the way. That's why everything that humanity does, apart from God, eventually goes bad. Every form of government, we know what should be. We think to ourselves, this is what is right. This is what it should look like. And we try it and we put it in place. And a hundred years later, it's all fallen apart. We find greedy people abusing the system. Why? The light is there enough to show us what we should do, but it's not enough there to help us do it. Even things like the Red Cross. Who could be against the Red Cross? Do you remember the great scandal of the Red Cross several years ago? I mean, the Red Cross was started to help people and And then suddenly we discovered that the director of the Red Cross was making over half a million dollars a year flying around in private jets. Is that why you give money to the Red Cross? Blew the whole organization, and now they're coming back and they're trying to... Why? What happened? There was enough light to say we should do something, but there isn't enough light to do it well. We can't do anything good. Because the source of goodness is God. And God alone. He's the careful creator and he creates everything good. And as long as it remained in a right and proper relationship, that goodness from God permeated everything. When that relationship was broken, the goodness becomes distorted. And let me tell you, friends, that's true for our lives as well. I'll give it to you this way. To the degree that your life is in a right and proper relationship, meaning that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That is the degree to which you will be able to do good. None of us are completely sold out to God. It was even Moody who said, the world has yet to see what can happen through one individual totally sold out to God. I am still learning to let him be Lord. To the degree that I let him be Lord, there is goodness in my life. To the degree that I try to do my own thing, That's where I lose the goodness because that's what the Word of God says. Look at this right here. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. Here it is. You can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus himself said, look, you have to remember, it's true in the garden. It's true right now. You don't have goodness in you. God didn't create this world to be good apart from him. Because this is his story. God is good. 
all the time. You say, you want goodness in your life? Then let me in. You want to see your life really good? Let me be Lord. You want to see what a really good life can be? Then give it all to me. And if you're a Christ follower, and I believe most of you sitting here are, that's what we're trying to do in our lives. That's what growing up in Him is. I'm trying to let Him be Lord more and more and let more and more of His goodness come right through and you want some really good news about God? Not only is he the source of your goodness, how about this? He knows when you're going to mess up, and you will mess up. Okay, let's, let's everybody accept this. Okay. We're going to mess up. Some of you, before the day is out, some of us, before the day is over, our Father knows when you're going to mess up. He knows how you're going to do it. He knows what it's going to cost you, and he knows what he's going to do about it already. There will be no surprises for him today. You may be surprised, and it may seem from this particular chapter that Cod was, was kind of caught off guard, you know? You know, he didn't see this one coming. You can see him scratching, wow, boy, I didn't see this one coming. What I'm, But that's not true. Let me show you this from Scripture. This is from 2 Timothy, as Paul is writing to uh, Timothy. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus... Before the beginning of time. Time was created in Genesis chapter 1. God had already decided to give us grace through his son Jesus before Genesis chapter 1. He knew exactly what was going to happen. What they were going to do and what he was going to do about it. You see... You're not going to surprise God. Yeah, you will probably mess up. Our Father knows it. He wants to draw you to His side, not because you will never mess up and you'll be the perfect representative for Him for the rest of your life. He wants to draw you to His side because He knows that you're going to mess up. And He knows what He's going to do about it. It's already planned. In fact, he even mentions it in this chapter. The very first mention of the salvation that would finally come to this whole world is right here in Genesis chapter 3. I believe it's verse 15. We have a special name for it. Does anybody know the name? If Carson was here, he could tell me. But does anybody else know the name of this one particular promise, this one particular verse? It's called the Proto-Evangelium. Aren't you glad you came to church to learn that word today? What did you do in church today? Well, we learned about the proto-evangelium. And it just means the first mention of salvation. It's when God looks to the serpent, Satan, and he says to him this, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head. You'll wound his heel. That's it. Now, we're going to talk about this more as the story of God unfolds in the next couple of weeks, but... He looked at Satan and said, okay, you, you think you got away with something? You messed up my creation by convincing these people not to listen to me? Now, that's their fault. They're going to pay for it. Don't worry. But let me tell you what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to kill you. 
I'm going to send somebody into this world. This person will be born from the woman. This will be a human being. I'm not just going to send some angel down here to take care of you. This person is going to be born through the woman. Okay? She was the first one to eat of the fruit. She'll be the one that brings salvation. One of her children down the road is going to kill you. Oh, you'll hurt him. You'll hurt him. Your wound is healed. You ever had a wounded heel? You ever have a stone bruise or something like that? It hurts. Did you ever die from a stone bruise or a wounded heel? Ever had plantar fasciitis? Your feet hurt? But you're not dead. God looked at Satan and said, you know what? I'm going to send somebody through this woman. One of her children. You're going to hurt him. He's going to kill you. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. Thousands of years before Jesus walked this planet, God knew exactly what he was going to do. Don't you think he knows what he's going to do in your life when you mess up? He's got a plan right now. First of all, there's through Jesus Christ forgiveness. We'll be talking about that as the story goes on. But, but even more than that, our Father has a plan to help bring you out of the tragedy that you have created by your going rogue on God. Our Father already has something already planned out to help you in the next steps to be healthy in your life and your relationship. But here's the best news of all right here, guys. God will not turn his back on you even when we do go rogue. You think about how God could have handled this one. He could have said, you know, you guys really messed up my world. I'll tell you what, I'm going to wipe you out and I'll start over. But he didn't. If I had been God, I would have. That's why you should always be glad that your pastor never gets to be God. It would be bad. Our father looked at the mess that they had created from his beautiful, perfect world, his good world, his world of harmony, his world of order, and he looked at what they had done with it. And instead of throwing up his hands and saying, you know what, you guys are on your own, you created this mess, good luck. He said, let me fix it for you. And he won't give up on you either. When you mess up, and he will. Our Father doesn't throw up his hands and say, I've just had it with this person. They, they just won't listen to me. Our Father says, let me fix it for you. It'll cost you. But guess what? It'll cost him too. He just says, let me fix it. 
This is what the Bible says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that you could do that could separate you from a father who wants to turn around and help you. You can walk away from the fellowship and you can live on your own. You can do that, but our Father will constantly be trying to reach out to you, say, come back, let me help you. There is never going to be a time that he says, that's it, I've had it with you, get out of here. As long as you walk the planet, our Father will not turn his back. You see, while this is his story and it's about him, it's really about his heart. And he loves you so much. He don't want to lose you. This is what scripture says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't care what you've done. You're probably suffering from your own, the consequences of your own decision. Our father loves you so much. He just says, look, come back. Let me help you. No matter what you've done, our Father will not give up on you. So here's the tension then. The world is created good and perfect. Mankind goes rogue and messes it all up. The rest of the story is called the plot. God is going to fix it. How's he going to do it? That's the plot. What steps will he take to get his perfect world back? That's the plot of the story. That's what we'll talk about next week. For now, just remember this. You were created for beauty, harmony, order, good. But it isn't in you. It's in your Father. To the degree that you allow Him into your life, your life can be good. When you want to go rogue, well, you pay a price. But our Father will never, ever, ever turn His back on you. As long as you breathe oxygen and you're walking this planet, no matter what you do, he wants to be there to make it right. Father, thank you so much for that kind of promise, for that truth about who you are. We give up on people. We get frustrated with people. Father, forgive us. There are times we turn our backs because we just think they're beyond You never do that. Father, each one of us at some point, we've just made our own decision. We've just told you that you're not the boss. And instead of getting angry with us, you're patient and loving. You want us to come home. Well, Father, this morning, some people need to decide to come home. In the next few moments, we give you that opportunity to speak to their hearts in the name of Jesus.